The reading from the Word this morning is from John 20, verses 21 through 23. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we are just uh, grateful to be here to make much of you, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And God, we um, proclaim that you are great, you are greatly to be praised, that your faithfulness is great. We thank you for your mercies that are new every day, uh, God, that, uh, that is grace upon grace. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, enliven our hearts to receive uh, the message from your life-giving, abiding, and transforming word. And I pray for Freddie, God, the message that you've put on his heart from John 20, asking the question, who is a missionary? God, I pray that, that we would receive it peaceably um, as uh, from the Lord. And I pray, uh, Spirit of God, that you would uh, encourage us and convict us and remind us of who we are in Christ and what we have been called to do in this time, uh, this short time, this, this hevel, this vapor, this vanity, this short time on earth. God, you remind us of the great privilege that we get to do, get to participate in your work. So, God, we love you. We ask that you'd be um, honored and glorified in this service. And God's people said, amen. Good morning. We've got a, a great treat this morning. Uh, Freddie Smala from the Czech Republic is going to open God's word. And, um, and he's titled the sermon, Who is a missionary. And it's kind of ironic that we're getting ready to send a team to the Czech Republic to serve um, people in Czech. And, um, and Freddie's over here serving us. And he very much sees himself as a missionary, which is um, um, seeing himself in the right light. Um, Freddie and I have a history. I met Freddie for the very first time in 2001 um, when I took uh, my wife and our three kids. Natalie was 15, J uh, Mitch was 13. And Joey was nine. We took him to the Czech Republic. And uh, first time we'd ever been to that country, uh, we had no partnership with the church there at that time. There really was no um, network of churches. And um, Freddie was our guide. And um, he was 17. Um, he wasn't even shaving yet. And, um, and still not shaving. Um, and uh, you're going to see Freddie has an amazing sense of humor. And uh, so got to know Freddie a little bit then, but didn't know if our paths would ever cross, actually. And then in 2006, um, God allowed us as a church and a network of churches, Crossway Chapel in the United States, to help um, birth a, uh, a family of churches in the Czech Republic. So in 2006, I had the opportunity to be over there when the Mayak, um, when Lighthouse Church was, was birthed. And it's just turned into a great, great partnership. We learned so much um, from Freddie and from uh, Daniel Herta. And I don't want to overstate this, but I, but I feel this and I believe this, that by God's grace, um, 
and for his glory, uh, Freddie and a man by that name of Daniel Herta, who are kind of the co-leaders of the Mayak Church of, uh, Network of Churches in the Czech Republic and Slovakia, are two of the most significant leaders, um, Christian leaders for sure, but leaders um, in Eastern Europe. And God has given us a great privilege to partner with them um, as they plant churches, and we have a great privilege to see, um, to hear from Freddie. Not only does he have a heart for raising up leaders, but more than that, he has a heart for Jesus and for uh, God's word and God's people. So if you would just give Freddie a Windsor Community Church welcome, please. Well, thank you uh, for having me, and, and I'm glad to be here every time I, I come back uh, and, and see you guys, and I'm glad I passed the test to be able to speak here. I don't know if you, ha you have a test here. Dan has a test. You have to do 10 pull-ups in order to come on stage, so I was working out the whole last year to be able to pass the test and, and speak to you. <clears throat> so what I would like to do this morning is is two things. I give you a little update about what, what God has been doing in Czech, and then we can, we can uh, think about the question, who, who is the missionary? So that's what we're going to do next. Um, so as, as Dan mentioned, in 2000, uh, 2006, uh, if we can put up the picture, uh, Mayak Church was started. This is, the, this is the first picture that was ever taken of, I think there were like 18 people. Uh, and over the, over the last 13 years, God has given us a great a grace that we were able to... Uh, grow the network into seven churches, and this is a picture taken at our uh, 13th anniversary this April, and it is amazing what God has done over the years. I have a, I have a map so that you can kind of uh, see what is happening. The, the white dots are the churches that are already uh, there, they're part of the network, the seven churches, and then the red dots are four churches that we hope to, or four cities that we hope to have a church and, and help, help plant the church this year. So this is what, what is happening. Uh, this is what you can pray for, uh, for the new churches and the, and the new leaders. And for us, this last six, basically six months has been a very unusual season. Uh, Czech Republic is, is claimed to be one of the most atheistic countries in the world. We have about 30,000 evangelical Christians only. So out of 10 million people, so about 0.3%. Um, and... Uh, but we have seen about 10 baptisms in the last six, uh, six months, and we hope, uh, we hope to see more um, uh, in this year. Actually, we know about a couple of other guys that want to get baptized in our network. And it has been amazing uh, to see that because that's why we do it, uh, so that people get, get to know Jesus, the people who've never heard of him. And one of the questions that, that sometimes come up with uh, is, is, why is this partnership important? Why is it important for us? Why is it important for you? Uh, some people ask, like, shouldn't we do something different, something else? Why, why are you here? Why am I here today? Why am I speaking here? Why are you sending people over there? It's expensive. Why are we doing this? Shouldn't we do something else? Isn't that something better? And uh, I think the reason, and, and Dan mentioned it a little bit, but, but I think the, the biggest reason for us was this. Uh, Czech Republic is not the place you go to to build houses for poor people or something like that. That's not, that's not where we are. But... I, I can say that for us, th this partnership that Dan mentioned that started about 20 years ago was, was the most significant thing in, in, uh, in that happened to us. Uh, just getting to know some of the leaders here uh, was the catalyst for even starting to think about church planting. As this wasn't a thing in Czech Republic 15 years ago, church planting. That People didn't do that. It's still very rare, but... It's kind of more common now. 
Um, also, we learned about leadership, which is something that Czechs in general don't like leadership, and churches in Czech in general don't like leadership even more. There is something from the past that the, you know authority was abused, and uh, and whenever somebody tries to lead, people are opposing that. But coming here and seeing plurality of leaders leading the church was an amazing thing that that we learned from you. Uh, another thing that that we kind of learned was that. In order to have good leaders, in order to have plurality, you have to develop leaders. You have to work on, on developing leaders. And uh, so we have adopted your pastor institute, which is a nice word for stealing. That's what, you know, that's what we do. We steal, we, we steal ideas from everywhere. And, and it has been amazing to see that if we can put up the next picture. This is our first pastor institute class that graduated last year after two years. And when they graduated, we started two more classes with more than 25 people in them that are going through it right now. Um, we also try to encourage young men to, to start uh, thinking about ministry and, and learning how to, how to be in ministry for life. And so we have, several, uh, we have several young leaders who are now learning how to be pastors in churches. This is Peter, who is uh, going to take over the Mayak church, the original church, after I moved away. Uh, another guy, Tomasz. Um, he's here with me. He's in Fort Collins right now. Uh, he's... Uh, uh, He's helping me in Olomouc, where I live right now with the church. And then we have another guy. His name is Jose. He comes from Spain. And uh, he's being trained to be uh, in one of the churches in Slovakia. And uh, how, how weird this idea of churches developing leaders is. I, I've learned the last year when I was, I was asked to speak about, uh, uh, about this leadership development at our pastor's conference. Our denomination has, has pastor's conferences twice a year. And, uh, you know, we have about... 80 churches and around 10,000 people. We're the largest evangelical denomination. And uh, I was speaking about our leadership development. And, uh, and then I had this, like a little workshop with about 40 leaders. They would represent about half of the denomination. And I asked them, like, what do you do for leadership development in your churches? Just let, let's share the ideas. Let, let's talk about the best practices we do. And there was nobody else doing anything. And that was the moment I realized how significant this was for us to come here and learn this from you and how much we, how much we are blessed uh, by that. So, so that, that, that's part of kind of the big picture of what God has been doing with, with planting new churches and, and raising new leaders and, and us learning from you. And hopefully there are things you can learn from us. Um, and that's a significant help. Some, uh, but there's, there are other things that God has done and is doing it's not about buildings, but sometimes it's about buildings. And so the last year, uh, we, we were able to get this building and turn it into this with your help. Uh, the, what is it called? The Crossway Chapel of Northern Colorado. Is that right? I think that's the right name. It helped us uh, financially with, with, with uh, transforming and renewing this, this space that we use for Mayak Church, but also kind of like a hub for our whole network. Uh, where we can do uh, some of the training. So, so thank you for that. And the last thing I want to mention is, is two things you can pray for. The, the first one is that the summer is coming, and for us, summer is, is always a kind of a peak of a lot of our ministries. So for youth ministry, children ministry, some of our family ministries, they all do these summer camps. I became Christian at a summer camp 22 years ago, um, and there are lots of non-Christians. We do nine camps in the network this summer. There will be several hundred non-Christian people with us 
And so you can pray for them. Your team is coming to one of, that, one of those camps, so you can pray for them. And then the other thing you can pray for is, is the new churches and the new leaders you have, you have seen. Um, as I said, it's still not very popular to plant churches in Czech. So it's not really always easy for us, but we still want to do it because we see it as, as a great tool that God is using to reaching out people. So thank you for uh, being such great partners. And for me, it's wonderful to come here and uh, get to know a lot of you over the years. Um, and now we're going to ask this one question. And the question is, who is a missionary? So I don't know how you would answer that, but I would assume, because even I would, I, I, this would be the first thought in my mind when somebody says, who's a missionary? I would say, it's somebody that you send somewhere far away. You take him, you send him to Czech Republic or to Africa or Asia or somewhere. And you send them to, you know, share the gospel or do some charity work or help with something, you know, the people over there somewhere far away. And um, I would say this is like the most common understanding of, of what does it mean to be a missionary. You know, we put their pictures on the walls in churches. We get to see them every four years or something like that. But is that, is that the right understanding? Is it, is it right that they're in the church, that there are those who go and those who pay? Are we those who pay and some of them went? What about, what about the rest of us? Is that something that, that doesn't affect us in any way, being a missionary? I think, I think there are two topics in the church that can instantly cause a feeling of guilt. First one is prayer. So if I ask you, you think like you pray enough, you'll start feeling guilty right now because you don't. None of us do. And, whenever, when, when, and of course, there is no, nobody ever told me like what's enough, right? You never know where is it enough, like how do you do that? And the second one is, is this, this topic we're talking about today, is sharing the gospel with others. That's the second thing that causes instant guilt in our lives. Like we should, we should do more somehow. We, we're not doing enough. We're... But I don't want this to be a guilt sermon. I, don't, I really don't want you to leave with a sense of guilt that you're not doing enough. And I will do my best for that to happen. But I'm just telling you up front, I don't want you to feel guilty. Because I don't think you're not doing enough. Um, but when, when we talk about those ideas about what does it mean to be missionary or sharing the gospel with people, I think we have kind of different ideas about what that, what that means. I think some people look at it and, and view it as sort of like a special forces task. So we're here hidden in this comfortable place that we call church. And then, you know, once a month or once a year or once a week, we just send this task force out into the world and they do something there to those people that live there. And then they come back and then we just keep living or we send a team to Czech Republic and, uh, and they go for two weeks and they do the camp and they come back and, and somehow that's it. Uh, the, the, other, the, the other way uh, people see it sometimes when, when, when we talk about sharing the gospel, a lot of people say, and they say to, to me, it says, you know, this is just, it's just not my gift. Um, I have different gifts and this is just not one of them. But I'm not sure the Bible is saying that saying that there's those who are gifted and that's their job and the rest of us, we're going to do something else. 
Sometimes we think only special people can do that. You know, like the pastor. I don't even know how many times this happened to me when I was, I was at the church meeting somewhere or something was happening and somebody came to me and dragged this person to me and says like, this is my friend Tom, can you talk to him? I'm like, why can you not talk to him? Like, why, why should it be me? There's this expectation that I am a pastor and I should talk to him about Jesus. And I'd, I'd love to do it, but why can you do it? Why it should be me? But what if it wasn't just for the pastors and for the special people, for the people who know more? What if it, what if it was for all of us? And it, it would be easy. The, another way that people think about it sometimes that I don't think it's really healthy is, uh, is this. I think I have recently met with this couple that they were, uh, they were leading this small church for about 20 years. And when I'm, when I'm saying small, I mean Czech small, you know, European small, like 25 people, not American small, which is like 200, I think. But, you know, Czech small. And if you do that for 20 years, I understand it's depressing. It's the same 25 people for... 20 years, and there was no progress. Nothing was really happening. And, and they came to me and they were asking me, like, what do, you, what do we do with the network and how do we, how do we try to reach out to new people and, and how do we do it? So I was telling them, and, and in the end, they, they looked at me and they said, well, isn't it, isn't it God who saves? So why do you put in so much effort? Isn't this really out of your control, out of your hand? Why do you put in so much effort? And I understand why they said it, because their experience was they, at the beginning or the first couple of years, they were just really trying to, to reach out to people and do a lot of things, and nothing happened. There was no, no people came, no fruit. And so they got to the place where they would say, but it, it's, the, it's the Lord that saves people, right? And, and I think we agree with that, right? And in the end, it's God who saves people. I'm, I'm not saying it's not true, but, but then the question is, of course, why should we put in so much effort? Or should we put any effort? Or not? Shouldn't we just pray and wait? But I think even the people that, that say we, we should pray and wait, and I think all of us here would agree on this one thing, that somehow the church needs to share the gospel with non-Christians. It should be done, right? Do you agree with that? It should be done. We don't really say who should do it, but it should be done by somebody else than me, usually. So, the next question, if, if we can agree on that, is who should do that? Isn't, isn't the, sharing of the sharing the gospel one of those things that is done by the gifted people? You know, it's like somebody likes kids, so they do children's ministry. Somebody likes music, so they play on a worship team. Somebody is good with money, so they come to offering, I don't know, do the books, something like that. And some people just like to share the gospel with non-Christians, and so they're the missionaries. Is that the same thing? I'm not a big sports fan. Uh, if you know me, you would, you would hear me making fun of sports fans all the time. I like to go to gym alone and not to talk to people. That's my favorite thing. Uh, <laughs> I talk to people most of my day, and I just, I just want to go somewhere where I don't have to talk to anybody. But I don't think ever in my life I, I turned on TV and watched some sort of game or sport on TV. I don't think I've ever done that on my own, alone. 
But one, one crazy thing happened to me once. I was, I was with some friends. We went to a pub, and, um, and it was a sport bar, and there was some sort of match on TV. And it was a Czech soccer match, soccer team playing against somebody at something. I don't even know. But <laughs> you can see I don't really know anything about these things. But, but the crazy thing happened to me. We're sitting there. We're talking. And after a while, I found myself being into the game with the rest of the guys. And I'm just looking at the screen, and, and, and I, I, I found myself cheering. I didn't even know I can do that. You know, it was, it was just weird. Like somehow I was sitting there talking with my friends and I felt like I'm part of that. Somehow, you know, I'm contributing to those guys that are playing somewhere in a different country. But in reality, I was sitting in the pub with friends who, you know, have a hard time walking up the stairs. But we felt like we we're important. And I think this is something that happens in the church a lot of the times, that... We look at the church and we say, we, we need to share the gospel. And we say, we sent the team to Czech Republic. And we feel like we're part of it. You, take, you had a pancake out there. So you feel like you're part of the Czech mission team. And I hope you do. That, don't, don't hear me wrong. I hope you do feel like you're part of this. But is that all? Is having a pancake and maybe giving in a couple dollars, is that it? What if being a Christian means being a missionary? What if it's the same thing? What if sharing the gospel is not something we do as a church by sending people somewhere away, but something that I do, that each of us is responsible for? The story of missionaries starts at the very beginning of the Bible. Uh, if you look at the story of the Bible, there's, it starts with God that creates everything and everything is perfect. Man and woman lives in harmony and peace with each other and with nature and with God. And it's wonderful, right? And we all long to go back to that. But then everything changed when, when we decided that we don't need God anymore. And then we will be better off without him. And then we will be our own gods. We'll make the decision. We'll call the shots. And as soon as this happened in the, in the Bible, and if you look at the, the beginning of the book of Genesis, you can see that the, the first story right after that is one man murdering his brother. That's what it looks like. That, that, and that's the beginning of, of kind of the downward spiral that you can read about in the beginning of the, the book of Genesis. Of what happens when, when we decide to, to live on our own. And then we re read the story of the Old Testament where God is revealing how he's going to fix the situation. How he's going to, what he's going to do for people. That he's going to send his son to bring man back to himself. He's going to save people. He's going to pay the debt that we had made and we we're never able to pay on our own. From the very beginning, we read about, about God's mission. About God being on missions, sending, sending his son to save the man. That was a thing he wanted to accomplish. And then when Jesus finally comes, and in the Gospel of John alone, when he talks about himself, 42 times he's saying that he is the send one. 
He's the sent one. 42 times in the Gospel of John. And, and that word sent, it's the, that's a key word. Because in Latin, the word sent, you translate it as missio. That's the Latin word for sent. Missio. And that's, that's where we have our missionary. So the missionary literally means the sent one. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, he's saying, I am the sent one. I am the, the, the missionary. I'm the first missionary. I'm the missionary of God that's coming here to save you. And as Jesus fulfilled his mission and he, he died and rose again, and, and, and he's talking to the disciple in, in John chapter 20. That's what we read. Where We can, we can read it again. Uh, he says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said these things, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they're forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So Jesus is saying, as the Father sent me, I am the sent one. As the Father sent me, as I am the missionary, you are the sent ones. I'm sending you to be missionaries. And that's exactly what the first church did. They, they went and they talked about Jesus and they made disciples. Because they understood that Jesus sent them into the world. And as he was the missionary, they were the missionaries too. And he's saying they carry great responsibility. They, they carry with them the power to bring forgiveness to people. We have the power to bring forgiveness to people. And it's not just for special people. It's for everybody. We believe that everybody is sent by Jesus. That this is not just for the twelve. Apostles, but this is for everybody. It's not something that we do as a church on some occasions or, or by some mission team somewhere in Europe. But all of us are sent, all of us are missionaries to our neighbors, to our family, to our co workers, to our friends. And maybe some of you will go to Europe, and maybe some will go to Asia and Africa or you know, around the world. But we all are sent ones, we all are missionaries. And so I try to put this whole thing into like a one sentence that, that I'm, trying to, I'm trying to communicate today. And that's, as Jesus was sent to us, can we put it up? Maybe. The next one? The ne no? Maybe it's not there. It's not there, maybe. Okay, so let me read it to you. As Jesus was sent to us, we are sent to help people get back to God. And that's what John is saying. Jesus, John is saying Jesus is, was the sent to us. So we understand that. We see that, that Jesus was sent to us. And then Jesus is sending us. Therefore, we are sent to help people get back to God. That is our mission. So how do we do that? I think this is the moment where you should start feeling guilty. If you don't, please, you can for a moment. <laughs> but why, why do we feel guilty? Why is it that when we talk about these things, we feel guilty? I think, I think the answer is that, that we, we all read books and we hear these great stories about people sharing the gospel with others. And in, this, in very specific situations. And we think we should do the same. The same way they do it, we should do it in the same way. Each one of us has this idea of what that should look like in our lives. And at the same time, we know we're not doing it. And that's why we feel guilty. 
I was, uh, some time ago, I was invited to speak at the conference, and the theme of the conference was uh, creating a missional culture in church. So it invited me to talk about essentially similar things I'm talking here today, about how do we help people to be missionaries. And uh, after I did my presentation, there was a Q&A time, and, and someone in the, in the audience, he wasn't really asking a question, but that's a lot of people do that <laughs> after. They just kind of want to add their thing. And uh, so he stood up and said, it is wonderful that you, in your church, all the people can, and then he named like what he thinks we do. So he said, they can meet a random person on a the street. They can tell them their testimony, share the gospel with them, start reading Bible with them, and lead them in prayer to receive Jesus. And I looked at him and was like, I was thinking like, well, you should baptize them on a spot like right there. That's the only thing that's missing in your thing. And he looked, and he was like, so you're great that everybody in your church can do it. And I stood up and I said, that's not what we do. And I could see, I could see he was disappointed. And the thing was, I felt guilty that we're not doing this. The, thing, the funny thing was, I was the speaker and I felt guilty. I understand why you would feel guilty too. But the idea was, I wasn't measuring up to his expectation. I wasn't doing all those things. I've never met a random person on the street. I've never stopped talking. That's not what we do in Europe. We don't talk to strangers on the street. Like you look down and you walk and you don't talk to strangers. If you do that, you're American in Europe. That's how we know you're there. <laughs> I, I've never done that. I've never, I, and I don't know anybody who, that, who did that in one, one meeting. Like, like stop the random person, share the testimony, start reading the Bible, share the gospel, and the, the person became a Christian right there. But somehow I felt guilty that we're not doing this. But what if it would look different in our lives than that? And we wouldn't have to feel guilty. And, I, and what I want to do now is I want to share some stories about what that looked like. What, what being missionaries look like in our contest, context. And I don't want to brag about anything. I just want this to be encouragement to you all that... Maybe when you hear the stories, you, you, can, you, can, you can see yourself in different situations in your life and, and say, this is, God is doing this right now in my life. So 10 years ago in, in our church, uh, we had one teenager. Like literally one person was, a teen, was in teenage age. And there were a couple guys who, who had the vision of starting a youth group. And, uh, and they went for it. And now we have about 40 students coming to our youth meetings. And recently at our anniversary celebration, we baptized one of the students. And it's, a, it's kind of an interesting story because you can see what, what happens with people when, when they get to know Jesus. He's about 18, I think, right now. And uh, in Czech, when you're 18, nobody has cars, right? I got my first car when I was, I, I think I was 27. Before that, you just walk everywhere and take bus and train. That's what we do. Um, but he lives about 15 minutes away in, in uh, this little village. So in order to go to church on Sunday, he has to take a bus, to take a train, to walk 15 minutes to go to church. So, so for him going to church, it's about an hour every Sunday morning. And he's still doing it. And the amazing thing was that the way this guy got first in contact with us was that his classmate just told him, like, do you want to come to youth group with me tonight? And it was as simple as that. And you don't need special skills to do that. You can be a teenager. They don't have special skills. 
Sorry, I always make fun of college kids. <laughs> it's kind of my hobby. <laughs> Last December, we baptized two guys. Uh, you've seen the, the, the two guys we baptized. And the guy on the left, his name is Honza. He came in 1997 when I came to my first English camp as a non-believer. He came to that same camp with me as a non-believer. And I became a Christian after the camp. And he, he didn't. He he, was, he stuck around for about a year or two, I don't, I don't really remember. And then he disappeared for 19 years or something. And last fall, somehow, he came to one of our meetings. People recognized him and started talking to him and invited him for coffee and shared the gospel with him. And he became a Christian after 20 years of coming to camp. And then the other man, is, 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 he's a father of our, our youth, youth pastor, and um, two years ago, almost killed himself drinking. And uh, after that, he decided to go to rehab. And, and, um, and after that, his son just started to invite him over to church. And so, and, and he was helping him. He, he found him a job and, and was taking care of him. And um, through about a, a, a year-long process, he became a Christian. But the way it happened was that his son was faithful in serving him during a really hard time of his life. And he was faithful and invited him over and over to church. And it wasn't something that you need the special skills for, to, to take care of your father. Another story is, is the story of one of the dots, the red dots on the map that we hope to see at church in the future. It's a little town on the border of Czech and Slovakia. Uh, and, and two years ago, I got a message from an old classmate of mine from seminary, and she said, she, she told me this unusual story of her friend living there. That she lived, lived in this little small village um, about 30 minutes from our church. And it's a, it's, it's a Catholic village. Everybody's a Catholic there. And her and her three friends, they were, grew up in a Catholic church. Uh, but, but somehow in, the, in, in her life, she started to feel like there's something missing in her life. And uh, so she started to read the Bible with her friends. And she realized that she has been part of this religious system for her entire life, but, but didn't really knew God or didn't really knew Jesus. So they started to search and they, they found Jesus. They started to be, follow Jesus as they were reading in the Bible. And this caused them enormous trouble in their life. Because this is, I don't even know you have a concept of this, but this is a little village that everybody's a Catholic and if you're not, that's a problem. So for them, stop, they stopped going to, to the mass and to the church. And, and this became a big problem for them in their lives. But for us, it was an opportunity. We, when we've heard the story, we said, how can we help them? So we said, we need to start something. You know? So right now, we're trying to start a church in that little town that they are part of. And that they're bringing their friends and their families to. In one of our churches last fall, two young mothers were thinking about what they can do for their friends who have kids. And so they start to meet every Thursday morning uh, with their kids. And, uh, and it started to be a regular thing, and they, they start to invite their friends. And uh, <clears throat> now, on Thursday morning, nobody goes to the office because there are like 15 kids running around in a really small space. And nobody can do any work there. So none of us, we just go after the lunch. Like, that's easy. It wasn't, it wasn't something special, something hard. It was just 
It was just something normal. They invited their friends who were in the same situation. The last one I want to share is my, my personal thing. Last fall, I started to do weddings for my friends who are not Christians. And it, it brought me amazing opportunity to, to talk to them about life and about God. And the point of these stories is, is for you to see there's not a one way to do this. It's not like you have to do one, two, three, four, five, and then bingo, you got a Christian. And I want on these stories to be an encouragement for you that, that probably somehow this is happening in your life right now. Somehow God is using you to reach new people who don't know who Jesus is. So you don't have to feel guilty that you're not doing enough. So how do people come to church? How does that happen? Is that, is that really the way it happens? Um, I came across the book by a guy named Tom Mercer. He's an he's a author and a pastor. And uh, he's been doing this thing where he's been, he has a church in the U.S. And then he's been traveling around the world for about 30 years teaching. And he said that he met probably about 100,000 Christians over those 30 years in 28 countries in 50 denominations all over the world. And uh, whenever he had a meeting and he was teaching, he would ask people how they came to church. And he came up with this statistic. So basically he's saying, people, people who have special needs and the church helped them, it's about 1% to 3% of people, that's how they get to the church. When you have special need, church helps you. Random people walking into the church is 2 to 4%. Talking with staff member or a pastor, that's zero to three percent. So just don't have people talk to me or Dan or anybody. Just do it yourself. It's better. Advertising, zero point five to one percent. Sunday school, four to six percent. Street evangelism, zero point five to one percent. Other church programs, two to four percent. And friend or relative bringing me to church was seventy-nine to ninety percent. And this is around the world. This is not just American statistic or Europeans. This is around the world. Everyone can do this. Everyone can do this. And I, I, I bet you're doing it. But when, when, when we say this, lots of people, lots of people say, well, but shouldn't, shouldn't it be done differently? Shouldn't it be done more effectively? This isn't fast enough, just bringing people one by one. It, there should be some sort of way to do it, you know, better. Uh, they always say, look at the history, look at the first church. You know, they had this explosive growth there in the first church. And we don't have that, but we should have that. Bringing people one by one, that's not enough. Uh, so, and it's, it's a good question. How did, how did that really happen, you know? At the, when we opened the Bible at the, book of, at the beginning of the book of Acts, we read about 120 people following Jesus, right? That's about the number. And uh, in the, this was in Jerusalem, in Israel, in the middle of nowhere in the Roman Empire, the year of about 33 AD. But then we look uh, at the history, and about the year, year 350 AD, about 50% of the Roman Empire were Christians. How did that happen? That was the explosive growth, right? That's how, that's how you get that. 
Well, so, sociologist of religion, Rodney Stark, in his book, Rise of Christianity, he, he looked at that and put it in numbers, and it's very interesting. He says, if you have 120 at the beginning, um, in year 312, that's the year where Christianity became legal in Roman Empire. In 312, there were about 9 million people. So how do you get there? How do you get from 120 to 9 million and we look at it, we go like, it's amazing, right? That's amazing growth. That's a lot of people. But the truth is that if you, if you calculate it, it's about 3.4% per year over 280 years. 3.4%. That's what it is for your church then, like 10 people every year, 10 new people every year. I'm not saying it's not a miracle, but that's not, that's not a huge number. And that's how it happened. So the last question is, what can we do? What can we do? I think it would be wonderful if we could see miracles happening every day. Where, you know, people are being healed from fatal diseases. And uh, then their families and the doctors in the hospital and their neighbors and everybody would go like, what happened? You know, we, we need to know about this God who can do this. And they would be standing outside of your door and just waiting for you to open them and they come in and you, you tell them about Jesus. It would be wonderful, right? But that's not what is happening. It's not happening here. It's not happening in Europe. Um, so what can we do? Because I, I came across this book uh, that the name of the book was interesting. It, that's why it caught my attention. It was called Ministry Between Miracles. What do we do when in those times when nobody gets healed and, and the people are not interested and, and uh, it is hard to reach out to people. And that, that's our situation. And I, I bet you're not very far behind. <laughs> what can you do? And I think there's a lot we can do and we should do. I think we can pray. We can pray for our friends, for our families, for coworkers, their neighbors. We can, we can talk to people. Like, everybody can do that. You don't need special skills to be talking to people. We can have friends who are non-Christians, you know, and real friends, not, not, not the friends that when you don't become a Christian, we're not friends anymore. But the friends where, even though you don't want to believe the same thing I do believe, we're still friends. We can help people that are in need, that need some sort of help. We, we all can do that. We can have a margin in life because usually when people, when people need help and they're in trouble and you can, you can serve them and help them, it is not in the time when you schedule it. No. It's not like Wednesday at two, I bet there's somebody going to come and I need two hours to help. That's not how it happens. And if you don't have a margin in your life, you will never, that's not going to happen. We can show people that, that Jesus is important. He's important to us we, because, because we obey him in our lives. We can tell people honestly what we did on a weekend. You know, we come back to work on Monday and people, people will ask, like, what did you do on weekend? And you go, well, on Saturday I was fishing. And on Sunday I, I, I met with some friends. It's true, right? We're friends. But you can say, well, on Sunday, I was in, I'm part of this church, and we had this crazy chick guy telling me we're missionaries, and why don't you come with me next week? 
We can, we can tell them what we did, what, where we belong. We can do normal things, just live our lives. We can go to gym, you know, you can go with Dan if you're crazy and, or, or alone. <laughs> and you can get to know people. And, but just have this intention that if there's an opportunity, we can serve them or tell them about what we believe. So let's be the people who know that Jesus was sent to us, that we need, we need to be saved, all of us. But also who understand that we're saved to share this with our friends, our coworkers, our families, because they also need God in their life. And let's not feel guilty about this. I hope you don't feel guilty. I don't want you to leave feeling guilty because I think this is what is happening. I, I, I preached this sermon to my church and uh, I told them, these are our stories. Uh, the stories I told you, these are happening in our church. These are happening in your lives. You're part of this. And we don't have to feel guilty. And I don't think you have the same stories. And as Dan told me, next week you will hear some of them because this is what God is doing. And I believe he's doing it here in your lives too. Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to remind ourselves that you came to save us and that's the most important thing that we are able to recognize this in our lives. And uh, I want to ask you for me and for all of us here today that we will understand what you're doing, um, how you're using us uh, in our families, in our workplace in our schools that you are doing you you still have this mission to bring people back to you and and we are part of it and it's happening in our lives and we can be grateful we can celebrate that amen stand and close our service together just reflect on what freddie has just encouraged us with as we sing